And can I encourage you to um, open up your Bibles at home? Uh, we'd like you to interact with your Bibles. And Tara is going to be reading to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, commencing at verse 40. Thank you, Tara. Good morning, everyone. So, Mark, um, as um, Scott said, so it's Mark 15, uh, verse, starting at verse 40. For some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and of the mother of James the younger, and Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with them to Jerusalem, were also there. It was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned of the from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body and wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, um, saw where the, he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where, he, where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, we could tell from the tone of uh, Scott's prayer that this is actually not a, an easy time. Uh, it's a difficult time for a lot of people. And the fact that we're having church uh, like this reflects that, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's an unusual period in our lives despite the fact that this is a difficult time though the tone from the passage that Tara read out today is actually a tone of hope for us and so there's a message of hope as we think about uh, the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us I'm not going to be preaching from every verse uh, in Mark 15 and 16 I'll be referring to it but this is supremely a, a talk on the resurrection of Jesus well, let us come now uh, in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this time together. 
And we thank you for your word, which gives us so much encouragement. And above all, we thank you uh, that we can read about Jesus and what he's done for us. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've um, noticed any trends in the speeches that have been given by politicians in recent times. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is their focus on the hope that we can have in the future. That's something that's become a, a bit of a theme, hope for the future. This is what United States uh, Vice President Mike Pence had to say around the 1st of April. He says, I hope people look at what happens if all of us continue to do our part. And that is, by sometime in early June, we could well have the coronavirus largely behind us as a nation. Reopen our country, put America back to work. I never want to minimise the loss, I just want to make sure people know there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's the message of hope. There's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. And what about this from our very own Prime Minister Scott Morrison? Back in March, he said, Once the virus has run its course, we are making sure Australia can bounce back strongly. Now, I know many Australians are anxious about this, and we still have a long way to go. We will get through this together, Australia. We all have a role to play. Once again, the take-home message is one of hope, isn't it? Uh, we'll bounce back strongly. We will get through this together. Well, both leaders acknowledge the challenges of this time, don't they? And yet they want to leave people, people like us, actually, with a message of hope. And it's a hope, really, that's based on people uh, working together to do their bit. Now, I'm all for optimism. I'm all for bouncing back strongly. And I really like light at the end of the tunnel because I've been on some caving trips in the past and been in tight, crammed tunnels where there's dusty area, like somebody's opened up a cement bag and scattered it through there. In the places that I've been crawling, the prospect of getting out uh, and getting into that light at the end of the tunnel was very uplifting, especially when my caving buddy said to me, don't worry, Peter, you, you'll feel like you're trapped in the jaws of a monster, but just keep moving into the light. Light at the end of the tunnel can give us hope, can't it? It can give us hope to continue on. And friends, this morning... We're not so much looking at a, a tunnel as, as a cave. There's a little cave there we see this morning and in that cave there's also light to be seen out of it as well. So let us turn now this morning and see some of the light from the cave. Today in the story there were some people who were looking for light in their lives. They were looking for hope, weren't they? Uh, we see that there's women who had a lot of their lives invested in Jesus. They'd followed him, they'd cared for his needs, and now they're experiencing a great deal of shock. And it's hard for us to even imagine the sorrow that they're going through as they stand at a distance and watch him be crucified. They're, they were in a time of need for hope in their lives, weren't they? 
And then there's Joseph of Arimathea. We see him in verse 43. He's a brave guy. He goes to Pilate and asks the body. Arimathea was a little town uh, about 20 kilometres northwest of Jerusalem. And he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, like we know about Nicodemus in John's Gospel. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was part of this ruling council called the Sanhedrin. So he was, he was part of the inner circle of the Jews, but he seems to be different to the other ones. He goes to Pilate, despite the fact that Jesus has had a charge of treason against him, a charge that he was king of the Jews, and he goes bravely to take the body down. And Joseph of Arimathea is described as a person who had hope, isn't he? We see that in verse 43. He was hopeful as one who waited for the kingdom of God. Well, I wonder what he was exactly waiting for. I wonder what Joseph was expecting the kingdom of God to be like when it came. For Israel had already been returned from their exile in Babylon, hadn't they? Wasn't that enough for him? Well, it seems that it wasn't enough for people like Joseph. They were, they were expect, people like him were expecting better than they had, a whole lot better. Because despite the fact that Israel had returned from exile in Babylon, there were still at least three problems, weren't there? Number one, the Jews did not have God's king reigning over them. There was no king reigning over them like there was a king reigning over them at the time of King David and King Solomon. Number two, the temple that had been rebuilt under Zerubbabel and had its extensions done under King Herod was still lacking in the presence of God. If you recall back to the time of Solomon in 1 Kings 8, uh, the priests couldn't even serve there for a time because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is what it says in 1 Kings 8 verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Well, the presence of the Lord hadn't returned to the temple in the time of Joseph of Arimathea, and so they still look forward to that time of God's visitation. And finally, the Jews were living under Roman occupation. They paid taxes to Caesar and they were under a type of slavery. Uh, they were serving nations who did not serve the Lord. And so it's no wonder that Ar Joseph of Arimathea can be described as someone who's waiting for the kingdom of God to come. But how did things get to this point? How did things get so out of hand for him to be in that position where he's waiting for restoration? Well, the short answer is sin. It's the nation's sin against the Lord. Uh, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, prays on behalf of the people. In chapter 9, verse 5, he says, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. And this, this fact of uh, exile grew out of uh, their rejection or their disregarding of God's warning to them against idolatry. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Lord warned them of the consequences of turning away from him and turning to idols. 
the consequence would they they'd be cast out of his presence, cast out of the good land in which they enjoyed, enjoyed life with him. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 26, we read, The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Now, at one level, uh, Israel's experience of distance from God is unsurprising, isn't it? Because we've seen this kind of thing before in the Bible, haven't we? Adam had a similar experience, didn't he? Adam was formed outside of Eden. He was graciously placed by God uh, in the garden paradise in Eden to serve with Eve in God's presence. He was to enjoy dominion with Eve over the earth in Eden under God. And Israel also was formed as a nation in Egypt and taken graciously by God to the promised land to be a kingdom of priests, to be priestly royalty, to serve in the presence of God and to be a light to the nations so that they might serve God as well. Israel was to enjoy dominion under God's hand in the place that God had placed them. But Adam failed to live by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God, didn't he? And he rebelled against the Lord and was exiled. He was exiled out of Eden, out of the presence of the Lord, who was the source of life and blessing. And outside of Eden, he died. Israel also failed to live according to the covenant that God made with them. Israel failed to live according to God's law. And instead of being a holy nation who was supposed to be a light to the nations, Israel became like the nations. And she was also exiled like Adam, out of the presence of the Lord. Adam longed for redemption and restoration to be with the Lord. He longed for the serpent crusher. And Israel and some like Joseph of Arimathea were waiting for the kingdom of God. They were waiting for forgiveness and restoration to be back in the presence of the Lord and without their enemies dominating. Well, I guess in many respects, we can identify both with Adam and with Israel in their distance from God, can't we? Like Adam, we also know what it is to sin against the Lord and we also do not live in Eden, do we? We live outside of Eden where life is hard. Even in a place as good as Port Macquarie, it's still not the Eden paradise face-to-face in the presence of the Lord. What kind of paradise has people struggling with their breathing on account of a disease? What kind of paradise has people feeling lonely because they have to uh, avoid each other since a virus has escaped that is now sweeping the world? That doesn't sound like the kind of paradise that I'd choose to stay in if I was given the choice. As good as Port Macquarie is, it's not an Eden. And so like Adam, we live outside of Eden. And like Israel failed, we know that we have a solidarity with them as well, don't we? Each in our own way fails always to to worship God as we should, to love God as we should. 
Instead, we try to hide from each other our sin and we try to hide our sin from God as well. And there are times when instead of being different from the world, as Christians, we end up being something a bit more like the world. And yet, like Adam, like Israel and like Joseph of Arimathea, we also long to be in the presence of the Lord, face to face and without our sin. But today we see Joseph of Arimathea in Mark's Gospel and he's still longing for the kingdom of God. So what did Joseph see in Jesus? Perhaps he hoped that Jesus would bring the time of God's forgiveness that was spoken about in the prophets. Perhaps he hoped that Jesus would bring in the time when Israel would enjoy peace with God and freedom from her enemies. The problem was that he and both the women have discovered that Jesus has now died. He's died in their presence. So has all their hope gone? Has the dream turned sour? Has the light at the end of the tunnel finally disappeared? Well, a word of comfort was also spoken by the prophets in the past as well. And that's probably why Joseph of Arimathea was still looking forward to the kingdom of God coming. He would have been familiar with passages like Isaiah chapter 35, beginning at verse 4, that said, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And in the Gospels we see that John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord and then Jesus comes. And Jesus gives the people a taste of that return from exile. He gives them the taste of restoration, a taste of the kingdom of God as he opens the eyes of the blind in Mark chapter 8. And also in Mark chapter 8, he heals so that many people exclaim, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. No wonder Joseph of Arimathea was looking to Jesus as the one who would bring in the kingdom of God. That time would be a time of the renewal of all things. The people of God look forward to that time, uh, even way back in Isaiah's time, when Isaiah said, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. There's an expectation that things will be so much better, so much more like Eden. And even Daniel prophesied a time when the dead would rise. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, the good news for the women and the good news for Joseph of Arimathea was that Jesus brought in that special time. Uh, The kingdom of God was at hand in his ministry. The exile was coming to an end and he was bringing in that time of forgiveness and restoration. In his 
crucifixion that God's, Scott spoke about uh, on Good Friday. Uh, we were reminded of Isaiah chapter 53 and how Jesus was the suffering servant. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And with the announcement from the young man dressed in a white robe in our passage today, we see that Jesus has brought in the hope of the new age of the resurrection from the dead, just as Daniel had spoken about. And we see that, don't we, in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, when this young man dressed in a white robe, a heavenly messenger, says, Don't be alarmed, he said, You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Well, was their hope in Jesus misplaced? The Apostle Peter didn't think so. He writes to the churches in Asia Minor, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And since Jesus has been risen from the dead, we too have hope of being united and raised with Christ as well. And that hope is something the Apostle Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15. He reminds us of our solidarity with Adam being distant from God and living outside of Eden and facing death. He says in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, he's the first of the resurrection age. Then, though, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And so there is hope for us. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus holds out hope for our resurrection, for us to live in the presence of God face to face once again. We live through a complicated time in history right now, it's true. And many people are finding it hard to find a way just to get by in life. And we can get discouraged with threats to our health and threats to our prosperity. And there's nothing uh, glorious about suffering for its own sake. And whilst our political leaders want to encourage us with hope about how we can cooperate to get through this together, and that's a good thing to do, isn't it? To love your neighbour and avoid conflict contaminating with a virus that's a that's a great thing to do and also we have have hope of something like a vaccine the reality is even even if we get these things and get through and and god willing we will we still need a hope beyond the grave don't we we've still got to meet our maker and god's word this morning is a reminder that we do have hope Uh, We've got hope because Jesus has been risen from the dead and he can raise us as well. For those who belong to the Lord, we have a hope of a renewed life, a resurrection life to come, when we'll dwell 
face to face in the presence of the Lord, restored once again, without danger and without discouragement. So let us be among those, even in this difficult time, who maintain our hope in Jesus above all things in this tricky time in life. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks for Jesus. We thank you that he brought forgiveness of sins. And we give you thanks that we're restored into fellowship through his death and his resurrection for us. Lord God, we give you thanks that Jesus didn't remain dead, but that he was risen again. And Lord, we give you thanks that he promises to raise us to be with you also. Lord, we give you thanks for his lordship over all things. And Lord, as we, as we live now, we pray that we wouldn't live as people without hope, but instead are confident uh, in the work of Jesus on our behalf to give us life with you. Lord, we thank you for that encouragement from your word this morning, and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing Yours is the Glory.